Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Well, today we're going to be brief as I promised. We're just going to be... Uh, and I want to conclude the thoughts that we, we started last week. I think particularly towards the end of the message last week, I was trying to hurry things along so as to make the points. But I just want to back up and really, really solidly endorse the principle within our hearts and minds concerning um, giving from a disposition of love. Remember, we were talking about uh, financial giving for the past few weeks and what kind of traits or characteristics should attend giving. The fact that you are doing it in itself doesn't make it acceptable to God. It must, the act must be done with the right attitude, I said. And the right attitude makes the act acceptable before the Lord. And I think it's very important in the season in which we are living. I really want to encourage you, not just in reference to financial giving, but in all respects, measure your life, measure your steps, be calculated. But that I mean, before you do the thing, step back a while and say, why am I doing this? Am I doing this with the right attitude? Um, am I doing this for any ulterior motive? Do it with honorable motives so that what you do finds power with God. Otherwise, you can engage in what is right with the incorrect attitude, and the right thing becomes wrong when done with the wrong attitude. So it's very important. King Amaziah, it says of him, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart, or not whole, not wholeheartedly, or with the right attitude before the Lord. And so last week, I encouraged you, for example, and you can apply this principle not just in reference to giving, but in all of life. Whatever you do, everyone say whatever. So whatever you do, it must be motivated by love, must be prompted by love, must be activated by love. When love moves and acts, when love prompts the doing of something, the doing of the deed takes on new acceptability with God. It's like when God sees a thing done, moved by love, because He is love, love is the essence of His being, Beloved, let us love one another, for God is, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is, born of God and knoweth God. He that does not love, does not know God, for God is love. If love is the essence of His being that visibilizes itself in terms of deeds, therefore when He from His heaven looks upon the earth and He sees deeds done, moved by love, it strikes a chord within Him. It's so akin to everything that he, that he is, that that deed will gain his favor, his power, and his regard. Okay? He will smile upon it. He will look upon it because when it's done in a disposition that essentially defines his essence, which is love, then there's something in God that's evoked that, that he becomes responsive to that thing. So Paul would say, for example, and I don't want to read all the scriptures because I just want to make one or two pertinent points. Paul would argue 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's just read it quickly, verse 1 and verse 2, that if I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge, that's a powerful thing, eh? You know everything. You are Mr. Know-it-all in spiritual things. And he says, you can even have that. And you can even have great faith so as to remove mountains, but you do not have love. He said, I am, I am nothing. And then in verse 3 he says, if I give all my possessions, we're talking about giving. So you see, if I, even if I give and I am proficient in the realm of giving, even to the poor, and the ultimate expression of giving is to surrender one's life so that another's life could be spared. Not so? What higher, what higher realm of giving would it be than to give your life for another? But he says it's possible even to do that without love. All right? You could give your life so another could live, but not be motivated by love. And this is what it says. It says, it profits me nothing. Everyone say, it profits me nothing. The word profits means it does not bring advantage. In other words, every time you give. Now, for example, according to the principle of sowing and reaping, if you sow, you will reap. We don't reap. We don't sow to reap. We sow to be obedient to the Lord. Okay? Our giving has got pure motives. We love God and we simply want to obey God. But anything that's done in obedience to God, like the act of financial sowing, will have attendant with it a harvest called financial harvest. But you can give to the poor and give the ultimate, your body to be burned for another, and it could profit you nothing. In other words, the act brings you no advantage. Simply because the act was not motivated by, by love. It profits you nothing. It comes to nothing. Notice, without love, if you go back, Verse 2, he says, you can have prophecy, know all mysteries, great faith, move mountains. He says, you are nothing. There's two different concepts in verse 2 and 3. In verse 2, he says, I am nothing. You yourself have, the word nothing here in the Greek is no weight. Everyone say weight. No weight, value, or authority. That's what the word means in the Greek. So without love, there are two effects. You are nothing, and what you do profits you nothing. Okay? Now, who would like to live there? <laughs> That's a very bad place to live where God says, I can be doing great things. Wow, you come to my Bible studies and you're mesmerized by all the mysteries I know. You look at my deeds of faith. I move mountains. See my deeds of faith. You look at my expressions of giving. See how this guy gives to the poor. He's even doing the ultimate. He's giving his life so another can live. Paul says two things here. You... Or luto. Nothing. You have re Everyone say become. Right? Just go back to verse 2 or verse 1. I have. Everyone say become. It means I was at a particular. The idea in the Greek is I have lost ground. I have degenerated to a lower elevation of operation. When I become proficient in spiritual gifts, absent love. Now, if somebody prophesies here, let's say, for example, and let's say reads Andy's mail and is very accurate and gives him great prophecies, and we 
we stand back and we applaud the proficiency of the prophetic gift. Paul says, don't be impressed by the accuracy of the operation of giftedness. Because if all of that is not motivated by love, the person functioning is no weight, no value, no authority. Everyone say no authority. Now this is where I want to get at. You become nothing and what you do profits you nothing. There's two, there's two things you must focus on. I have no weight, no value, no esteem, and no regard from God. It's a frightening thought, though, that you could be highly proficient in spiritual things and yet still lack love. So the absence of love makes the operation of the gift invalid. Let me say it another way. You have no right to minister to anybody you do not love. You have no legitimacy, no right to minister however gifted you are, whether you're ministering by prophecy, whether you're ministering by Bible study teaching, declaring the mysteries of God, and even whether you are ministering your finances by giving to the poor or giving your life to be burned. You have no right to minister on any level if the ministration of what you're doing is not prompted, motivated, activated, and has its genesis in a, sp a spirit called love. It's amazing, watch. When you function in love, God attends power with what you do. If love is there, God says, wow, my power. For 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. I like the King James says, Old King James says, the spirit. Right? It's timidity. The word fear here, phobos, is timidity. It's actually cowardice in the Greek. It's like there's a courageous act to do. You are cowardly, you are timid, and you retreat away from the courage that the act demands. Timothy, by nature, was an introvert. Not so. If you, if you study Timothy's life, he was introverted. He shied away from responsibility. Uh, he wasn't your outspoken person. He was the background man. But yet, Paul took him and put him in charge of the whole city of Ephesus. Please remember Timothy's portfolio. Timothy was not a local pastor. Timothy was a delegated apostle over elders at the city of Ephesus who led spiritual houses. Right? And he says, the things I commanded you, you command other men who are faithful so that they can teach others also. Right? So, but he, he tended to shy away from courageous acts, um, and like, like correcting people. He says, rebuke. Paul encouraged him, rebuke, admonish, exhort with all long-suffering and patience, my son Timothy. So watch, I said this to you. Remember, I won't go through all the scriptures. Let me just talk to you. I said to you this, watch. Where love is perfected, fear cannot abide. Because First John says, perfect love does what to fear? Remember I did this? It kicks fear out. Come and move your leg like this. Say, bah. <laughs> fear gives, is given notice by the maturity of love. If love is mature, watch. You can be fearful about engaging an act. The presence of fear not to do the thing is proof. Love hasn't matured in that area. Because if love is perfected, fear will be cast out. This morning as I was meditating, I put a note on Facebook. The Lord said this to me. You are spirit, soul, and? But come on, you are? Spirit, soul, and? And body. 
The Bible says in the book of Romans that the Holy Spirit takes the love of God and He sheds abroad the love of God in my heart. And I believe word the heart there is a reference to the spirit of the man. Matthew 23 says, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, heart, soul, and strength or, or might. Okay? And the Lord said this to me, if the heart is an allusion to the spirit in that specific context, then the love of God shed abroad in my spirit has the effect of displacing any residual fear still that I'm harboring in the area of my soul so that in my body I can fearlessly and courageously do the will of God. Say that again. You've got to catch this. Love of God, profuse love of God, poured out by the Holy Ghost into my spirit. You must remember a spirit. Everyone say spirit. spirit. A spirit is capable of loving. God is spirit, not so? All of God, Father is spirit, the Holy Spirit is spirit, the Son of God is spirit. And the Bible says He, that spirit, is the quintessence of everything that love is. So if I am to love in my body as a human, I must make sure He who is spirit, I am one spirit with His spirit, and as He sheds the love of God abroad in my heart, watch, because fear, most often, it's a psychological thing. Although this verse says it's a spirit. 2 Timothy 1, 7. Tell you never fear is a spirit. Watch. As God the Spirit is spirit and is a spirit of love. Where's that verse found? Was it Romans 8 somewhere? That the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit which has been given unto us. Watch. If that is the case, is it Romans 5, 8 or Romans 8, 5 or somewhere there? Repeat after me. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of love. Now that spirit is one of love. And the scripture says, according to the book of Romans, he is able to shed abroad. To shed abroad means to distribute, right? Yes, it Romans 5, 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through who? Come on, through who? You see, because there are two spirits here. There's the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of love. And there's a satanic spirit called fear. And these two are rivaling for ascendancy within your spirit. Right? These two are fighting the battle out to see which will dominate the man's or the woman's spirit because whichever spirit persists will rule your soul and have an effect in your body, either negative or positive. Let me explain. I like this verse because it says, love has been poured out within our hearts through who? Is the Holy Spirit a spirit of love? Yes. Paul says, I heard, I think it's to the Thessalonians, I've heard of your love in the spirit. Right? Love in the spirit. So watch. If my spirit, married to the Holy Spirit, and He sheds the love of God abroad in my heart by His power as spirit, watch. It affects my spirit so much that, watch, in my soul is where fear wants to lurk, wants to hide, wants to set itself up as an authoritative um, 
rebuttal or uh, uh, an attack, a, re a rebellious force against the love of God poured out by the Holy Spirit in my spirit. So if fear lurks in the realm of the soul. This is what I think. But if love matures by the Holy Ghost in the realm of my spirit, if that is so strong, then that love has got the power to displace fear lurking in my soul. Because the spirit is meant to rule the soul, not so. The spirit is meant to bring the soul in compliance or alignment to everything that God is doing in it. Okay? And so every time I fear, it's proof that I haven't matured in, in love. And I'll show you the scriptures in a moment. So that in my body, I'm faced with a challenge about how to obey God or not. Whether I must obey God in this or that respect. Specifically in the matter of giving. If I am fearful, watch, of the parting of money from my being, if the fear of loss after I have given is still my predominant thought, it's proof that fear still resides within me and love which should motivate giving has not fully been matured in me. So let's say someone's in need. Right? Someone, let's say Ryan is in need. And the Lord says to me, Share with him uh, your substance. My love for Ryan, the love of God in my spirit, should be far greater than the sense of loss that my soul calculates by me having given him the money. So the love of God will cast out the fear to motivate the deed of obedience to him. This you can relate to any, not just to financial giving, to any matter in terms of your obedience to the Lord. If the fear of you having, you being at some disadvantage, everyone say disadvantage. So it doesn't have to be giving. Let's say God says to me, go here or do this. And I stand back in disobedience to the act because in my mind I reckon the act's going to disadvantage me in some respect. And I will be lesser than. And fear motivates me. And fear cripples my obedience in reference to obeying God. Love says, no. If you love me, what did Jesus say? Do my commandments. Obey my word. Love within me says, by the Holy Spirit. Please remember this. Love is not simply an emotional feeling. That I love God. Love is actually an empowering factor. Okay. Remember last week we read Romans 8? How are we able to conquer what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall famine, shall nakedness, shall peril, shall the sword, shall height, shall depth, right? And he lists a couple of things. What does he say? In all these things we are more than conquerors. How? Through him that loved us. If I have a revelation of love, love serves as an empowering factor to overcome any obstacle, right? Any obstacle. So you must tell your neighbor you've got to be motivated by love. Motivated by love. Second Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear. If you put it in the King James, I just want to get the... God has not given us, I like how it says it here. Everyone say the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is a demonic spirit called fear. Fear is not simply an emotional feeling. 
fear is the result of the work of a demonic host designed to instill that negative psychological thing in your mind of the fear of punishment to you. It's demonic. Tell someone fear is not normal. Fear is demonic. There is like fright, which is not fear. I mean, a lion comes roaring into this building, right? You can't say, we've just heard about fear. Come, lion. No, no, no. I'll be, there's a hole there, brethren, I saw. There, there's where I'll be. I don't know about you. <laughs> there's where, I'll pull you up from there when I'm, once I'm up, right? That's normal human fright. You, 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 you negatively react to something where there's a threat of danger upon your life. That's not the spirit of fear. Um, this spirit of fear I'm talking about is a demonic fear designed to cripple your obedience. Okay? So what did Elisha say to the Shunammite woman? When he said to her, give me, make the, the cake for me first. He said to her, do not fear. Fear crippled financial obedience. But where love is perfected, love will empower the act of obedience far more than, than fear. God has not given us this spirit of fear, but here's what I want to hint at. Everyone say power, power. Love, love, and a sound mind. Right? So we don't want to be cowardly because the spirit of fear makes us cowards. We retreat, it brings timidity within one to retreat away from doing the will of God. But I like how love exists between power and a sound mind. Okay, between power and a sound mind. In other words, um, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but power, love, and a... The word sound mind is uh, well-disciplined mind or uh, sober-mindedness. Okay? But where love is, power attends. I'll say it again. Where love is, power attends. God releases power wherever love is going to be the operating uh, 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 factor by which the, the person drives all of his behavior. So when Paul says, I can give my body to be burned and I don't have love, it profits me nothing. We can paraphrase it by saying, you can give without love and no power tends the act. No power tends the act. There's no advantage, there's no reciprocal uh, power from the Lord's response to back up with heaven's, with heaven's backing the act, however innocent that, that you do it. Okay? However innocent that you do it. Now, I've got lots of things to say, but i only got 10 minutes now, I want to go just maybe to a parable to illustrate some of these things. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse 35. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house. This was Simon the Pharisee. And reclined at the table. There was a woman in that city who was a sinner. Who, when she learned that she, he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house... She brought an alabaster vial of perfume, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. She was, that she was a sinner. She was a prostitute. Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money he decided to give a parable. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to, to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them loved him the more? Repeat after me. Who loved the more? That's the question. That's the question from the parable. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which was customary thing to do in that day. Because everyone wore sandals and they walked on dusty roads. The courteous thing to do when someone came to your house in this culture, they, you greet them, you kiss them on the cheek, they sit down. The first thing you do in that culture, get a bowl of water to wash their, to wash their feet. Jesus is saying to Simon, you afforded me none of the normal courtesies required of you. Right? What verse are we on? 44. Let me read it again. Uh, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my head, uh, my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. Everyone say she loved much. She loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith, everyone say your faith. Your faith has made you whole. Last week I taught you, how does faith work? Come on, how does faith work? How do you know that? Galatians 5, 6 and B, it says, faith works through love. And I said to you, that duo of faith and love uh, must be present within your life. Abel gave offerings by faith. But what we are saying from a new covenant perspective is, whenever I do something in faith, faith is courageous, daring. Paul says, you can have the faith without the love, it profits you. Nothing. Faith to move mountains, it comes to nothing. So whenever the, you have, the, the, whenever I, I view it like this, if love is the all-consuming motivating factor of your life, you do things because you love God and you love people. If love drives you, faith will automatically kick in to do the courageous deed. Because there's nothing like the power of love that can even look death in the face and still proceed with its intended action. Right? Love, the Bible says, is greater than death. So what really drives me is, yes, I know faith comes by the hearing and the hearing of the word of God. But faith's propulsion, faith's consistency, faith's power is rooted in love. So this woman comes to Simon the Pharisee's house. He accords him no honor. There's no honor given to Jesus, not even the normal required thing to do. This woman, a prostitute, goes behind him not in front of him, from behind, breaks an alabaster vial of expensive perfume and anoints his feet 
and she's weeping, and her tears washes the feet of Jesus. Simon is angry. It's amazing how the lavish giving of people always activate the wrong reaction in the observers. Huh? Remember the other incident? Uh, there's a great deal of a debate by theologians whether the incidences in the Synoptic Gospels and John's are different occurrences or the same. We don't know. I don't want to get into that debate right now. But remember the other incident when she broke the other women. Could have been the same. I'm not sure. Where she broke the expensive uh, nard perf spikenard perfume that was worth 11 months' wages. And she lavished that on Jesus. And who retorted? Who reacted? In that scenario, it was Judas. Remember? This money could have been sold and given to the poor. So uh, I want to encourage you that don't react to lavish giving of some who, who function from pure motivation. Okay? It's amazing how the lavish giving and generous giving of some will whelm up sometimes reactions in, in, in others that are not godly. So Simon says, this guy, if you were a prophet, would know that what sort of woman this is. But watch. This woman was acting prophetically. Jesus in the parable said, the man who was given, forgiven the greater debt, loved more than the man who was given the, the lesser debt. So the, 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 the degree to which you love, listen carefully, is born out of a revelation that you have of the extent of your forgiveness. The degree to which you love is born out of a revelation of the, of the true power and the degree of what forgiveness means to you. That being said then, I will say this. You can very easily um, calculate or determine where a person is in their revelation of forgiveness by how they give. Because if I give a little, it's proved to me that I don't have a full revelation of exactly the extent to which I've been forgiven. But having me having a, a revelation of the power of forgiveness and what God has released me from, it will liberate, it will liberate my wallet. So yesterday a bigger came, Renee and the children were at the wind shopping. So I was alone, home alone with Luke. So our, our normal beggar, you know the, our normal beggar, the guy that normally comes, I tell you about him often. And he, I hear the gate rattling. Da, 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 da. I'm working in the office. And he comes. He says, something to eat, please. I said, no problem. Hold, hold on. So I went. I took those two rolls that you bought. <laughs> <laughs> and I made him a, there was nothing really. I could just give him a, a, a cheese. I put some cheese. Made him a cup of coffee. And I brought it down. And for some reason, I don't know why, I was looking a bit down. So I came down and I gave it to him. He says, how? Why are you so sad today? Life is good. <laughs> you a beggar telling me life is good. <coughs> he says, how? Life is so, life is so good. And I was able to, and I smiled. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just looking down. Not, I wasn't sad or anything. I was just, and I gave him, I was, I was thinking about something and my mind was out when I'm giving him this guy. He says, why are you looking so sad? Life is good, bro. <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> you see, when I looked at him, I thought, wow, guy down and out. We are far more advantaged than him. Okay? And I was in the midst of recording some principles. And my mind was so wrapped up. But love causes you to inconvenience yourself to convenience another. When love drives an action, 
and, and love doesn't say that these roles will do well later on. Midnight would come tea and coffee. No, love releases it. Amen. Love will cause you to do the most uh, powerful of things. Jesus said to this woman, only after she gave, your sins have been forgiven. That baffles me about this. She did not give in response to sins being forgiven. He forgave his, her sins after the fact of her giving. So I think this lady was functioning in a prophetic reality even before she had received that reality. Yeah? Because if you, if you do this thing rationally, Jesus is saying, the guy who's dead, the 500 denarii, he, as opposed to the guy with 50, his debt was huger, therefore he loved much. So you see this woman? See how much she is loving. But he only administrates the forgiveness of sin after the fact. I always believe that your giving prophetically positions you to enter certain spiritual realities even before you encounter them. Right? Remember that woman in the other incident where Judas protested? What did Jesus say? Let her alone because she is preparing my what? She is preparing my body now for my burial. Watch. Please get this, brethren. In this room, what's he saying? In this room, this woman is preparing my body for burial. This is only going to take place a few weeks on the cross. Right? But she is living in that moment. She is living in that moment now. In the preparation of that reality. Your giving now prepares you for entrance into some spiritual reality later. The Bible says God will never forget your offerings. He doesn't forget your offerings. Okay? So it was, it was an expression of love in the women. And what did he commend her for? Not a, not a love. Arise, woman. What did he say? Your? Come on. What did he say? Your? Your faith. But he references she loved much. So faith can never ever work outside of it being an expression of love. Yeah? So who wants more love? Who wants more faith rather? Right? Master your love. Develop your love. Let your faith drive the action that love has prompted. It will get the smile of the Lord. It will get the reward of the Lord. Come on, do you love much? Your loving much is born out of the degree to which you have been for, forgiven. So if I see a beggar, we met Robo Hover again today, coming to church. So I had nothing to give him. Renee found four rand, she gave it to him. All I had was a sweet, my last bubble gum, and I gave Robo Hobo. Right? Listen carefully. Don't just rely on tithes, first fruits, and offerings. Develop giving as a way of life. Don't just wait for end of the month. You live this thing daily. It becomes all-consuming. Love motivates you. And there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. So when, when love drives the action, love does not reckon what fear holds as a loss by what you have given. Love says, no, if I am truly loving, faith will fuel this courageous act. Let me just say this. If you don't prove yourself with these little small things, when God asks you to do the big thing, you would not have developed a sufficient enough track record up to that point to do the big thing. But start in the small things. So tell your neighbor, your beggar 
is your lesson. Your beggar is your is, is simply an entrance point into where God truly wants to, to take you. Oh, by the way, this whole thing here is about honor, not so. You did not wash my feet, Simon, but this woman washed my feet with her tears. You gave me nothing to anoint my head. She anoints my feet with expensive uh, perfume. What's he saying? See how she honors me. And her honor was accorded to her faith, just like the centurion soldier. Remember? The centurion soldier, what did Jesus say? When he said, don't come to my home and heal my servant, because you are a man of great authority. I too am a man of great authority. I say, come to my servants, and they come, go and they go. But just stand here, speak the word, and my servant at home will be healed. What did Jesus say? I have never seen what? I've never seen faith. So his, his honor was equated to faith. Sometimes, you know, faith works within specific environments. Get your honor right. Get your love right. And faith has the ideal environment in which to express itself. Right? And so, I'm telling you, your giving will go to the next level. Because you won't function as a normal human being. You're functioning, uh, uh, your giving, bathed within the power of the love of God. Amen? Stand with me. I need to close. We'll have time. But stand with me. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we pray for a revelation of your love. We learned last week that in love you predestined us to the adoption of sons. Before the foundation of the world, your love prompted creation. Your love drove the act of creation, the giving out of yourself, of the visible and invisible worlds. Today we receive that same power. The love of God must constrain us, drive all of our actions. Father, I pray for all of us here. Give us a new perspective of your love. May your love drive us when fear seeks to imprison us. May love set us free to obey you in specific respects, God. We honor you as our Father. We love you. We pray, O oh God, that wherever you call us to give courageously, that these would be tokens and expressions of the love of God expressed in and through us. Let all of our giving speak of just how great a love the Father, uh, by the Holy Spirit, has shed abroad that love within our hearts. We receive that love. We receive new empowerment to obey you in this regard, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.